Travel Thursday. Travel, travel. support Thursday. Travel Thursday. <laughs> travel Thursday. Hold on, I got to start with a beat over here. I don't know if they can hear. Travel Thursday. Travel Thursday. We're in New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, look. So right now we're in Bishop's Bay, which is kind of like an offshoot to the west of Lake Wanaka. And, I, you know, it's... It's incredible. It's hard for me not to constantly turn around just, and look at this hold thing. Hold on. I'll just, I'll just, you know, no birds this time, but thank you all for warning us about magpies. Ooh, we did see some the danger here, of magpies. but not here. Mm. Uh, New Zealand. We've only been here for three days, but it's been incredible. Yeah, this is our third day in. We've been camper van and tripping around, but that's not what you're here for. No. We're going to make a whole video about this entire experience. <laughs> You'll see it in somewhere between now and a month from now. <laughs> Uh, travel Thursday today. Travel support yeah. Thursday today. We are talking about all sorts of interesting topics like creator burnout, data speeds while traveling. Yes, this eSIM stuff keeps coming up. Yeah. It seems like this is a really hot topic, or maybe just like a big point of confusion. Mm -hmm. I think it's just really interesting to a lot of travelers. And then we're going to talk about your questions related to traveling in Europe for mm -hmm. a month. And then finally, an interesting question that we received about what it's like to travel solo as an Asian American woman. Yes. A topic? Which I think I could answer. <laughs> we also um, have an audience of this little bird. I know you guys were very interested last time. So this much, one's a much nicer one. So much okay. bird footage. I just want to apologize in advance. We are outdoors for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, <laughs> right in front of a lake, and it is occasionally going to get pretty windy. Yep. So we'll try to reduce the wind noise as much as we can, but I'm just going to apologize in advance here we go okay where are we starting okay so our first question i you too lisa and josh could you please let us know what type of data speeds you were getting while using airlo in east asia so japan korea hong kong taiwan mm. i've read that data speeds are not good as others especially in japan okay yes so in japan and south korea you're going to want to use ubiggy you're going to yeah. get way better speeds everywhere that you go and the reason for that is because the company that Ubiggy uses like in Japan to license their data from is on the CDMA network, which is like 95% of the networks that are in Japan. It's just a different technology that the phones talk. And then if you use Aerolo, you're going to be connecting to their GSM version of their network, which is pretty much just one company. So all of the people who are using this GSM network, so every, all travelers are going to be connecting through this one company. So it's going to be really slow. So we've generally found short story is Aerolo was not really as fast in Japan and South Korea, mm -hmm. um, but Ubiggy was. Um, so, yeah. And what what would you do? Would you say like the data speeds were? We yeah. were getting like LTE most of the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were on 5G yeah. almost everywhere that we went between like Korea and all, almost everywhere we went between Korea and Japan. We were on mm -hmm. 5G. It and was then, great. And then in Taiwan and Hong Kong. I thought Aerolo was better here than Ubiggy was. Yeah, we both used Aerolo, and I think we also got LTE 5G yeah. most of the time. But so. as far as speeds, so we were able to upload a video using our Ubiggy eSIM way out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and it was going at about 200 to 300 megs a second. Pretty fast. It was incredible in Japan and in South Korea. It was faster in South Korea than it was in Japan. And then uh, throughout Hong Kong slash into... Taiwan and basically anywhere else you're going to be on Aerolo, you're looking at like 10 to 20 megs a second. It's not super fast. It's definitely good enough to get the job done. Yeah. It was definitely enough for us to travel around and make YouTube videos and also connect with family and friends while we were traveling. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. great. It's great. 
Okay. Thanks for that question. Okay. Our next one comes from Linda Brew 983, who Ooh. starts with Hello, fellow Wisconsinites. Oh, hi there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, fellow cheesehead out there. This is this is great news. This sure is great news. How about them Packers this year? What about that Aaron oh, Rodgers wow. turncoat? Oh, have you had a brat recently? Have you gone to Fleet Farm? <laughs> what about Culver's? Have you had one of them butter burgers? Definitely. Oh, they sure are good. I mean, as soon as I hear that you're from Wisconsin, I just immediately go into, <laughs> oh, sheesh, I sound immediately like a Wisconsinite. Just as, oh, oh, just as stereotypically as I possibly can. Can you tell we miss Wisconsin? <laughs> I don't even know who I'm like modeling that accent after. It's just like, it's so stereotypical, like a 90-year-old grandma from Wisconsin that I met once sounded so exactly grandma? like... Oh, yeah. Oh, shoot. Oh, geez. Say hi to your mom. Oh, say hi to your mom for me. Oh, oh, gosh. Oh, my. So Linda asks a really great question generally about traveling around Europe for a month, and she provides really great context. Um, I would say that the main things to know is they'd like to be in Europe for about a month sometime at the end of 2024 or early 2025. Mm -hmm. They want to build up some points to use Hyatt's. Um, They're retired, new to foreign travel. They've been to London, um, but they they want to see more of Europe. So a lot of their questions are surrounding whether it'd be reasonable to base themselves in London for a month and take a lot of day trips. Mm. They have no idea where the trains go, how much it will generally cost. And they are also from Wisconsin. So, of course, they fly out of Minneapolis, Chicago, Milwaukee, but they're open to a lot of different places. Um, They've never flown business or first class, but would love to if there are any great deals. Okay. They have about 300,000 miles or rewards. um, And... They want to hold on to them as much as possible, but they'd like to go to Europe sometime either before June or after August, which I think makes sense. Yeah. You don't want to go in the heat of the August month or heat of the summer. So so I think to summarize the request, it sounds like they got a whole bunch of points yeah. across like Amex and Chase and Hyatt and a couple other things. Mm-hmm. They want to go to Europe next summer and they want to figure out how to best use those points and to get there and back. And whether they should stay in London Ooh, or yeah. like explore other places. Okay, so let's just start with getting there and back because we've done this flight out of like Chicago and or Minneapolis and or middle of nowhere Wisconsin airport all the way out to Europe and back a bunch of times, right? And I think with your amount of points, I think you'd be kind of foolish to not be looking at business class, Mm -hmm. at least a little bit. Yeah. Because it'd be very comfortable and they're generally kind of long flights and a lot of times they're overnight. So having that, I mean, why not? Here's what I would do is since it's so far away from now, like... Uh, so flights are only searchable or bookable 330 days from today. That's like the furthest out we can reach right now. So we can't give you a specific flight. We can only look at stuff that's happening like September this year or, you know, middle of next year. Um, but I think where I would start is with Air France, actually. And I think strategy-wise, the way I would do this, because it sounds like you got time. I would take a flight from middle of nowhere, Wisconsin airport slash Minneapolis <laughs> or Chicago, and I would go to New York. And I would spend like three nights there. And then I would grab an Air France business award flight, mm. transferring from your chase points, which is giving like a 25% bonus right now and probably will by the time this thing comes out. Or you could use your Amex rewards points, but I know that you said you didn't want to use those necessarily. But I would start there and we've seen some crazy deals out of New York 
to Paris, yes. which is honestly where, like, if you're thinking of one place in Europe to, to like, start. headquarter yourself into, I would say Paris is about as good as it gets. It's right yeah. in the middle, and there's so many cheap flights going around. And I think to answer your question about getting around Europe, once you actually get to Europe, it turns out all the trains, all the flights, they go pretty much anywhere across Europe. It, it feels incredibly easy and convenient to get around to most places, mm -hmm. cities, and countries in Europe, whatever mode of transportation, trains, flights, they're all pretty affordable too. Even the buses are really nice. That's also Even true. The buses yeah, are Flix pretty bus is great. Uh, so we've seen things for like 35 to 40,000 points, but specifically on Air France, because their like business class package that you can get with an award is just incredible. And for 35,000 points one way, that means it'd be like 70, maybe 80,000 points, both directions. The award fees are usually really, really low and you can transfer from both your Amex and your Chase. Mm. And that would get you in and out of Paris in business class for basically free. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty good way to start off the trip. Yeah. Is free. And if you, so I guess if you had a month in Europe, we were talking about this earlier, like if we had a month in Europe, where would we spend our time, right? Like quintessential yeah. for me, because I hadn't, don't tip over camera. Don't <laughs> do it. It's a little chilly and brisk over here. I mean, I feel like Europe is still traveling in general is still very new for me. But I feel like the things that the places that I wanted to see were a lot of the places that we hit up when we first got to Europe. So I would definitely want to go see Rome. I would want to go see Paris, London. Yeah. I mean, Florence and Venice are incredibly beautiful as well. And there's so many other parts of the UK and France that I would love to see. Yeah. And so if I had a month, I think the way that I would do it is probably like five days in Rome, maybe four days in Rome. Four or five, yeah. Three days in Venice. Yes. Uh, maybe f four days in Paris. Maybe three days in Bordeaux. Oh, yeah. Go to wine country yeah. for a little while. Or also Marseille. Very beautiful town in yep. the south. Go Ooh. to London for maybe five days and then maybe take some trips outside of London. And then probably I'd bolt on a couple other cities, maybe one or two. You don't want to go too fast. Spain or and Switzerland. Spain, Switzerland, Croatia. Yeah. Oh, you're going in September. They're going in September. So you got to go to Oktoberfest. Ah. Oktoberfest happens in September. So you got to go to Munich. You got to see Oktoberfest. It's, just, it's so iconic. It's it's just what an experience. <laughs> what an experience. I hope that, I hope that answers your question out there. <laughs> And I sure am sorry if we didn't cover all the bases here. Sorry but, uh, about the wind. Sorry about the wind as well. And I hope you get to eat a brat soon. Another interesting question that we got was from If We Go To, which we met when we were in Japan. Yes. Hey, guys. Hey, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> so we miss you guys. We hope you're well. They ask, um, do you ever get creative or social media burnout? If you do, how do you deal with it, especially with it being your job? been struggling with this a bit lately would love to get any and all advice from you guys That's oh a great, man yeah yeah okay question. so this is like we, okay so we had creative burnout yesterday <laughs> and we had it last week and we had it a month ago and is we're, it burnout if you continue <laughs> yeah probably but, and we're gonna have it another in another two weeks or whatever and i think do we struggle with this yeah mm -hmm. absolutely we struggle with this all the time yes and i think that there's a couple of major reasons for this is that i think creative burnout happens as a direct result of like the thing you're creating not meeting the expectations that you had for it, whether that's monetarily or whether that's creatively or any of those different things like whatever you wanted out of the thing it's from like when you create it and release it you're just not like receiving back the thing that you were hoping for hmm. so your why is almost a little bit off kilter yeah yeah exactly your purpose. so like for me i think about all the time this piece by ira glass that talks about the skill gap 
And he basically describes it as this thing of like, you have this idea in your head of this beautiful thing that you want to create, but your skill is so far away from being able to actually make it that it feels like this just like impossibly large chasm between you and then there's this big skill gap and then the thing that you actually want to create and the ability to actually make it. Mm. And I feel like when we started this thing, we were just so naive that we were like, oh, that won't take very long. We'll be filmmakers in no time, even though we've literally never done it before. And then as we got further into it, we realized that that skill gap for us was much bigger than we thought Definitely. it was. And that we had to learn all these things along the way. But the frustrating part of being in the middle of that, of being in that skill gap before you actually make it to the other side and being able to like make the thing that you had in your head and turn it into reality in the way that you imagined it, which for us is like a beautiful New Zealand video that like explains everything that we want to explain about and transmit this feeling that we have over here. And trying to get through that skill gap is just like crossing a desert. You're just like taking a step at a time and you never see the other end of it ever. You never, you just have to believe it's there and you just keep going and going and going until eventually, eventually you reach that point where you're like, I'm good enough to actually make the thing that I wanted to make. And it feels so rewarding when you get there. That's interesting. So you think of your, like when you think of social media, creative burnout, you think of it's related to like the outcome of it doesn't meet your expectations of it. That's what I think of it. And I think the burnout happens when enough of that happens over time. Like for me, I would say that the monetary outcome of these videos is secondary. Sure. Maybe even tertiary to like one, like, did I create the thing? Did we create like one, did we create the thing that we wanted to make mm -hmm. that we had in our heads? And then did it come out in the editing and come out in the filming in the way that we were hoping and transmit the feeling and the information that we wanted. And then two, did it actually help people out there mm -hmm. in a real tangible way? Mm -hmm. And I think at first we were so far from that, that it just felt like we'd never get there. And I think actually, so that part, I mean, I, I definitely feel like we came into this knowing that we weren't, we were completely new, you know, we were yeah. newbies. We had no idea what we were doing. We had only known what we known. We saw things on YouTube and we thought, well, let's try to make our own version of it. But I think for me, the hardest part and, and why sometimes I feel social media creative burnout is like the endless nature of it. Oh, sure. And, and I mean, I think there's always room for improvement in any business or anything that you do or create, right? I think that part of the skill gap thing, I guess to me is just a sign of wanting to constantly improve. Yeah, get to get better over time and to be able to connect with more people and make more of a change. Yeah. With the art or I don't know if we can call this art, you know, like that's pretty lofty, yeah. but with the with the videos and the other stuff that we make just to be able to see the change in the world that we're hoping to see yeah. as we're making them. There's so many pieces of it. On the one hand, we want to be really helpful and we want to touch as many lives as possible and help people physically get out into the world and travel as much as possible. But then the interesting and most, I think, unique part about you, YouTube and social media is that you get instantaneous feedback. I mean, we're all used to getting feedback and constructive criticism in our jobs and any in any relationship, anything, right? We're used to getting feedback. But with YouTube and social media, it almost feels a little bit more challenging because you get it instantaneously and you're expected to like adjust immediately and you get it from so many different kinds of people. 
and anonymously, which sometimes <laughs> is nice, but also sometimes hurtful, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, I think we've developed a very thick skin over the last, you know, several years, and we've learned not to take things too personally sometimes. But, it's easier easier than it looks yeah. to not take the bad criticism personally. But, you definitely feel it. But you know? I definitely think that nature of social media and content creation makes it so that you feel like you can you can't always please everybody. And so in that way you're continuing continuing to improve, continuing to take feedback, continuing to take on other people's opinions that sometimes you forget your why, you forget your purpose. Yes. You forget why you started doing this to begin with, which is that we love traveling. We love having fun while we travel. We love traveling on a budget and we love helping other people do the same. And I think that to me is like, we often have to remind ourselves kind of like a course correction. Anytime we see like YouTube videos that feel like off or we feel like, oh, we wish we had that or we were jealous of like someone's views or someone video, someone's videos or someone's cinematography. Right. Or we're in a place and we feel like the thing that we're creating is not good enough. I think we just have to remember why are we doing this and also look at, you know, where we are, right? Like, right, right. I think that to me is always the way to kind of get back out of the burnout is to remember why we started doing this, why we're continuing to do it. And also, I think the thing that is also specific to YouTube that I don't think a lot of people talk about because it is a very charmed life that we live. Um, breaks are really important. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, in our jobs before, yeah, maybe we got 10, 7 days PTO, which mm. was great. But we were also very good about taking a break, right? We, we had our 9 to 5s. That means after 5, usually, we left and we had our lives outside of that. With YouTube and yeah. content creation, sometimes it feels endless. so flexible, right. so endless that you really have to like double down and say, when, I, when I'm when i going to take a break, this is when I'm going to take a break. Yeah, and I think like the happier, the happiest we've been in this is when we treat this hourly like a job. Yeah. And I know that that sounds weird because that was exactly the thing we were trying to get out of when we started this. Yes. But yeah. when, we, when we treat this more like a thing that we like clock in and out of over time and when we say like, okay, I'm working eight hours today, I'm going to get these couple things done and then when it's done, it's done. Yeah. Because I think like the worst mistake, and we made this mistake, the worst mistake you could do is you could take a job that you could work anywhere and you can work anytime that you want and then turn that into a job that you work on all the time, yeah. everywhere that you are. And yeah. we did that exact same thing until we just burned out, fell on our faces and realized that there had to be another path. Yeah. There just had to be. And like, and since we watch a bunch of your videos and we know like the type of thing you make, we totally get like the expectations or the blueprint of a successful type of channel like what we do is that you release three videos a week probably more indefinitely everywhere that you go you're filming almost every day and you're editing every single night and i would just think on that default blueprint just for a little while and think like maybe maybe that default blueprint isn't right for me yeah like we came to that realization that that wasn't right for us and we just absolutely we didn't like it we couldn't do it yeah. and it totally works for some people and I love that but it's just like that one blueprint that we all saw when we first started as like the successful model right mm -hmm. like the right way to do it it probably is not a one-size-fits-all thing we started to realize that the more that we did YouTube the more that we blurred the lines between 
travel and YouTube work and hobby work and fun. Yeah. The more we started to take, take it for granted a little bit. And I think we talked about this in a past podcast, but I think we started to take traveling for granted. And that was when we realized we needed that course correction. We needed to start remembering why we're in this, why we're doing this. And for us, I don't know, having that home base and having a little bit of separation between travel, work, and personal life, Mm -hmm. I think helped a lot. I think that that's been everything for us in a lot of ways. And I think also that like gratitude piece, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about, we started taking things for granted that should not be taken for granted Mm -hmm. (laughs) at all, especially in the line of work that we're in. And I think just taking even just a brief second for as cheesy as hell as this sounds, just to appreciate absolute lunacy of the fact that we're paid i mean indirectly right like we're we're getting paid and we are receiving revenue yeah for recording a podcast of us talking into microphones that are probably way too windy in front of lake wanaka <laughs> right behind us with snow i mean like it's just insane it is to wild. even be able to think yeah. about this job and obviously a bunch of hard work had to go in to us getting to this point and a bunch of luck and a bunch of other things for yeah. us to be able to get here. But I think once you just like think on that for a little while, I find that the burnout, the sting of it starts to peel back its layers a little mm-hmm. bit. And then you can start thinking a little more reasonably of like, okay, like why am I burned out? My schedule sucks. I'm working all the time. I'm just like making these videos and there's nonstop. And I feel like I'm just going to be creating infinite stuff mm-hmm. forever. Or is this stuff actually the things that I want to create? Yeah, right. Like, does this resonate? Like, it might resonate with thousands, hundreds of thousands of viewers, but if you don't feel it and you don't feel like... I mean, because we've been there, right? We've made videos and we... Oh, that ice cream roll <laughs> video? I felt like such an empty shell of a human yeah. when we were filming it because I knew that I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And the it fell reasons. completely And it flat. totally died, and I'm glad it did. I'm actually, yeah. I'm happy. If that thing had done 10 million views and all we would have done forever is just make ice cream roll videos everywhere, I would have been miserable. I would have been absolutely miserable. There's no depth there. There's, there's nothing that we like about that other than just trying to chase some outside benefit that we don't even care about. Yeah. When you feel right, when you feel ready, when you feel right, and when you feel good about it, create. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like art anymore. It doesn't feel like creating. For us, we have found that taking breaks taking care of ourselves, attending and, and doing the things that you love doing um, to help balance out any work that you do is really helpful. And then also just, you know, figure out your why. Figure out the why, why we're doing this. And, and when you're ready, when you're feeling good, get back to that why. Yeah. And to be clear, I hope this doesn't come across like we're talking from some high horse, like we figured no, this out. we have no idea. Because we're we still struggle with it. this. Yeah weekly but i think yeah we 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 understand you we totally get you and we've absolutely been there yeah and i think most importantly i'm really sorry to hear that you're feeling burned out right now because yeah. that sucks that's true that sucks and we yeah. get it that's not fun we hope you get a lot of self-care and uh some breaks soon and some happiness sunshine yeah to switch topics a little bit to something a little bit more lighthearted, I came across this interesting article from BBC Travel. Ooh, what do you got? And the title is Our Luggage-Free Trips, The Future. Oh, man. And it's talking a little bit about the idea of sustainable travel, encouraging travelers to not bring suitcases, not pack so much stuff. In line with that, some countries are following suit. Like Japan Airlines recently launched a program giving overseas travelers the option to rent clothes for their stay in the country in advance. <laughs> 
so they don't need to lug and load a lot of their clothes. You like reserve clothes? Yeah. Like you would book a yeah. plane ticket? You like book clothes? Yeah, they call it the Anywhere Anywhere <laughs> wow. um, program. Those puns. And so basically the airline, you know, their, their, their story is that passengers heading to Japan can check in or carry on minimal luggage and then they can measure the environmental impact of handling less luggage as well as lower airplane weight. So once people arrive to places like Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, they have tailored clothes available in a range of sizes and styles right. to choose from delivered to their hotels. Oh man, but all this is doing is just like babysitting all these airlines, <laughs> like like creating a venue for these airlines to reduce their baggage limits even more. <laughs> To even more insane levels. Like, it'll be like two kilos in two yeah. years. And it's just offloading that to these clothing companies. <laughs> it is interesting because on the one hand, I think uh, it's ah. a it's a cool idea. Like, I love, I love sustainable and reusable things. Like, I love shopping secondhand. So, I yes. think the idea is incredible. But I'm not sure if this, like, what about the time it takes to, like, go and deliver these items? And what about if these clothes don't fit and what if the, what, like, how do you account for all of these things? Yeah. Um, but I appreciate the idea. I mean, and I think this idea isn't completely new, right? They're rentable ski, ski, um, ski equipment. So you don't have to lug oh, sure. your own. Um, and the hope is that they're reducing the need for travelers to invest in equipment and, and have to, bring it on these flights sure but hopefully travelers already own clothing by the time they get on a plane like you know a lot of people don't own skis but That's they still true. go skiing but like most people own yeah. shirts it's <laughs> an interesting i mean i'm curious would any of you be open to trying this i'd be interested in trying it mostly because i want to see what japan airlines fashion tailored yes. clothing would be like yes i'd be so curious <laughs> to see that and i like i want to be more fashionable <laughs> i would like to i would like, I, to, I would be like to be more fashionable and i think it'd be kind of cool to see like what they would pick out for me, but I know that there are services not related to airlines that yeah. can also do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it'd be fun. Mm -hmm. I don't think this will catch on though. I think the idea of like not bringing a lot of stuff with you when you travel is just kind of inevitable because of how yes. kind of greedy all the airlines have gotten with these baggage. Also, well, and it, jet star that we just flew over here. We could bring like a teacup and that's it. The truth is... Who brings a teacup on a flight? But. <laughs> I'm all about secondhand and thrifting and reusable things and renting things over buying brand new. But is is this now just shifting the responsibility to consumers and to travelers versus like the airlines themselves for yeah. like being more green? I think that that's exactly what they're doing. But I do... The idea of having someone else pick out real adult clothes for me for the first time in my life... <laughs> would be a very interesting and I think fun experiment yeah. that I would probably hate. Maybe we should try it. Because it wouldn't be comfortable, but I think it'd be fun to try. Yeah. Be Japan Airlines. <laughs> yeah, JAL. Yeah, maybe if it's just the JAL pajamas, <laughs> I'm sold on those all day. Those are so comfy. Okay, it's getting a little, it's get, it's it's a lot windy out here, so we're just going to, we're going to move this into the van. Please hold just a minute. Okay. Back. At it again. All right, we're in the van now. This is our uh, New Zealand camper van that you will see in a video at some point in life, three weeks in New Zealand. Part of how we also prevent creator burnout is uh, creating and editing and making videos at our own pace. So yeah. sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. Okay, so I think next question, I think this is the last question of the day, right? I think this is it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this question is for Lisa. Ooh. I'm getting ready to travel full-time as a single older woman. 
Hmm. I am Asian American and I have not experienced any overt racism in Europe or South America except for some teenagers in Dublin in the early 90s. Hmm. As an Asian American woman in this post-COVID world, are there any places you would have second thoughts about traveling to if you were not with Josh? Wow. And I think that this is kind of overall the question kind of feels like, what's it like traveling these days as an Asian American woman? Yeah. Is kind of what I'm gathering from that question. And like, is there anywhere that I wouldn't wouldn't go solo? Um, that's a really, really good question. And it's really it's really interesting. I'm really glad that you asked this question because it is because it is something that I definitely think about a lot. Um, that I don't think often gets shared um, either on social media or the internet. Any, you know, I, and I think it's really important to talk about. I will say first um, off the bat, of the three years that we've been traveling, um, there is not a place so far, luckily, that I would say I would not go to as an Asian American woman as a woman solo or not you know um there were a lot of places that i felt like i could have gone by myself and traveled and felt completely safe i mean definitely in general i'm a very cautious person right like if i'm going out by myself i try not to go out at night or if i do i'm always very aware of my directions. I look like I know where I'm going. I try to have cell phone service and battery at all times. Um, and I'm generally, yeah, I just generally feel like I'm a more risk averse person. So I am very cautious. So I will say I feel very lucky that of all the countries that we've been fortunate enough to travel to in the last three years, um, I haven't felt like I would never go back to a place. The other question, I think it's um, it's interesting because I definitely hear you and I hear the like the meaning and almost like the fear behind that question, right? Sometimes it can feel like as an Asian American or a minority somewhere else or you feel like different or that you don't belong. I'm always a little bit worried that I'm going to be um, alienated, treated poorly, feel like, you know, was I scammed because I'm Asian? Was I scammed because I didn't speak the language? Mm. Um, and especially post COVID, I think there was a lot, a lot of anti-Asian sentiment everywhere. Um, you know, people thought that people attributed COVID to Asian people. And that was very scary for a lot of a lot of people a lot of times in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You know, when I came back from our full-time one and a half-ish, two years of travel, my overall feeling was that there will always be some situations out there that will make you question whether you are truly welcomed or not. And I think that's just coming from a place of I'm a minority. I'm a minority in the country that we live in. And and that's what I grew up feeling. Um, you know, we always talk about how in general when we're traveling, 
the differences between us is very stark, right? Like I'm always trying to not be seen. I, I'm always trying to blend in. I'm always trying to not draw attention. And it's really hard with this gigantic camera and the big mic on top of it. It's impossible. It's so hard. But I'm always like, please, let, let's just wait until people pass by. Please, let's like wait till there's nobody in public. Because I was always kind of raised to live life like, you're just blending in. You're just trying to assimilate. You're trying not to cause a scene. You're not trying to stand out. I don't know. All that is to say, I think I, I validate your feelings about this and your fears and concerns about this. The truth is, yeah, racism is real. It's real. I mean, whether it's overt or not, it's real. And it's real everywhere. We get it online. We get it on YouTube comments. We have to delete a lot of them. And it's unfortunate that there are a lot of people out there that exist that still feel like um, it's okay to call people names or to make fun of the way they look mm. for being different. Take your time. Um, we had friends that came and visit us when we were in South Korea, kind of towards the end of our one year, our one year honeymoon. And, uh, our friend Melissa, she asked me, like, what was this overall? What was the overall feeling of this this last year of travels? And I was even surprised by my answer. My answer was that overwhelmingly, I felt positive about the world. As much bad things were happening in the news everywhere, I felt that everywhere we went, there were always more than one person always willing to help always willing to be to extend themselves to understand me um, even if we didn't speak the same language and overwhelmingly I think that everyone is just trying to be happy and if they're not happy oftentimes the result of that is some miscommunication or you know misunderstanding and at the heart of it I truly believe that travel is the way that when done right and responsibly and selflessly, travel is the way that we can understand each other better, um, empathize with one another better, and and see how the other person lives and and embrace difference. That's that's truly why I think travel actually makes people and humans better. So, <laughs> long-winded answer, I will say. Lots of thoughts. We talk about this yeah, all the time. We do. All the time. Yeah, we do. I mean, there are lots of times when we'll be traveling somewhere and I will ask Josh, like, do you think that person slighted me or said something to me because I'm Asian? Do you think that person made a comment or was making fun of me? It's a, it's a very real like concern. It yeah. is. There are countless times when you get treated fully differently than I do in the exact same situation and we interact with so many people in so many restaurants and so mm -hmm. many things and the treatment will be different and worse for you than it is for me in just very kind of like slight underhanded ways but they're super tangible yeah and it makes me furious it's it's real have i ever felt like my life was in danger no but it is something that i feel it's something that i wonder and worry about all the time and even making youtube videos i remember thinking 
I don't really want to talk about race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk. I don't want to open the door for other people to like use something against me or other people like me. I don't want to be add a little bit more about my identity just so that someone can use it against me. Even though 90% of the time it's always positive and it's always kind, there's still racist people that probably haven't been able to travel a lot. I was going to ask, like, do you have any tips mm. for Asian Americans who want to go out and travel right now? But I, I realized how stupid of a question that is because it's like you don't need tips you shouldn't have to have tips just do you you know well, <laughs> but that's the that's the hard part and that that it's really really hard to do that i think and that that's to me is like i know when you say like do you or when people say you do you boo boo or like mm -hmm. you be yourself it's hard to remove like right a lot of years of experiences of racism or overt or not um, you know, I remember my dad always telling me that every time he got pulled over, he felt like it was because he was um, darker skinned and he was Asian when he was, you know, in his 40s. He was working at a job for many, many years. Someone told him that he wasn't getting promoted because he was Asian Gosh. and it took him a long time to to get the promotion that he wanted but he kept working so i think and then for you to hear that the only yeah. reasonable thing to think is like oh that's going to be my that's life the story. too that's, that's the story that's and that's happen. the experience of my ancestors and the people that came before me and for yeah. thousands millions of other people not just asians not just asian americans many many minorities and wherever they live that's their experience and so you can't erase that so to say like just just let it go or mm. do you it's really hard but if I could tell past Lisa, like the Lisa that was afraid to travel before, afraid to be seen, even the Lisa that's afraid these days, right? Like I literally want to close all the curtains and never be seen filming because I don't want to be seen. Um, I would tell her that the vast majority of people are friendly and curious and kind and just want to be happy. And probably you do too, you know? Mm. And so, and the people that, the people that aren't, the people, you know, the rare people that <laughs> sign up for YouTube just to, you know, say bad things about people <laughs> yeah. or the people that, that do yell at you on the street sometimes, they're the bad apples. They are not representative of hopefully the vast majority of people that you will encounter in your trips. I will I will say though and end this question with appreciation for this question. It's it's a brave question to ask because I think a lot of people are afraid to ask it and afraid to talk about it. And I hope that on your travels wherever you go, you feel the positivity, all positivity. Um because I think in general we've had nothing but great great interactions and loving experiences from people from all over the world. And I will say traveling through Asia, very, very liberating. There's this <laughs> very, I can't find it now, but there's this TikTok that I saw of this creator. It was an Instagram, maybe this Asian American woman walking through the streets of, I think it was Hanoi or somewhere in 
in Southeast Asia. And the caption was like, something like, I've never been to this country before, but somehow I feel like home. And it was because all these people were walking past her and no one was staring at her. No one was looking at her weird. No one was questioning whether she was from there. That was the sentiment of the video. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I was like, oh, I feel that to my bones. If anyone has seen that video, please share that with me because I can't find it. <laughs> She's been looking for it for like a week now. <sighs> With that, we are signing off from Wanaka here in our camper van in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Next week, we will also be in New Zealand somewhere else, maybe in our van, maybe not, depending on the weather. But feel free to keep asking us those travel questions. We really love hearing from you, and we really appreciate the support. For those of you that are listening on podcast, thank you, and hopefully the audio is doing okay. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube, yeah, feel free to leave us a question, travel question below, and we'll try to tackle them next week. That's it for this one. Thank you for joining us. We'll <laughs> talk to you later. See you next time. Bye.